Welcome to the Ray of Hope Church podcast. We believe that hope changes everything, so get ready for an encouraging message from the Word of God. We pray that you would receive wisdom and revelation as you grow in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, I'll just remain standing just for a moment. We're going to read the Word of God together. Randy was uh, talking about we're not having service because of fall break tonight. And then he announced that uh, we're having our Hallelujah Night uh, a week from this uh, Tuesday. And Carrie leaned over to me and she said, We need to take all that Halloween candy you bought and bring it up here. <laughs> Now, there's a story to this. We were at the store the other day, and you know those big bags they put out of, of Halloween candy. And so I put two big bags in our cart, and, and she said, what are these doing in our cart? And I said, well, we need these. We may have trick-or-treaters. She said, Mike, we never have trick-or-treaters. We live seven miles out in the country. You can't even see a house, you know, from where we live. She said, we haven't had trick-or-treaters in years. But I, I said, if we do, we're ready. And then she said, she said, you need to take all that candy and, and bring it up there. I said, honey, by next Tuesday, there won't be any of that candy left. Oh, hey, don't act so holy. Come on. I bet a Hershey bars went into your ministry before too, right? How many of you would help me preach this morning? I, I'm going to talk about something that is just so fundamental that I'm going to sound like an old preacher. And uh, I am an old preacher, but anyway, I'm going to sound like one. We're going to talk about the blood this morning. We, we want to never lose sight of the fundamentals of our faith. And it is happening around the world. And so you and I need to be bastions of the faith. We need to be bedrock in the faith. We need to understand what the Word of God says. It does not change. How many of you believe with me? His Word is forever settled. If you have your Bible, pick it up. And let's read this before we're seated together. Genesis chapter 4. Thank you so much for coming today. We love you. We appreciate you. God's growing His church. And you're here by holy design. Verse 8 of Genesis 4, Now Cain talked with Abel, his brother, and it came to pass while they were in the field, everybody say field, field. that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and killed him. And the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel, your brother? And he said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And he said, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood cries out to me, from the ground. This is the first mention of blood in your Bible. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for your mercy, your grace, your goodness. Speak to our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Turn to your neighbor and say, I'm glad you're here today. I read an article last week uh, about a hymn, a song that you may know in Christ alone. It has been sung by many artists, uh, Natalie Grant being one of them. One of the song's lines goes like this, Till on that cross as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. One of the large denominations in America petitioned the song's authors to allow them to change the words of that hymn. They asked that it be changed to, As Jesus died, the love of God was magnified. The authors refused to change the words of the song, 
The point being, we're living in a culture today that doesn't want to hear about the blood, doesn't want to hear about judgment, doesn't want to hear about the cross. We want a sanctified, sterilized, pasteurized religion. This is our Father's world. What he instituted, what he said, what he dictates goes. You may not like it. I may not like it. We don't want to become the, the, the Zipporah church. Now, many of you don't have a clue what I just said. But Moses married the daughter of a Midianite priest. And when it came time to circumcise the boys, they put it off and they put it off. I'm sure there was some resistance there. There was some friction there. And finally... When those boys were circumcised, she threw the bloody foreskin at the feet of Moses and said, Thou art a bloody husband to me. Moses didn't dream that up. That was the covenant of God. What we have to be careful of, what we have to focus in on, is the fact that this is our Father's world. And what he said and what he instituted is what we must do, what we should do. This is the first mention of blood in your Bible, but it's probably not the first blood that we shed. The first blood that we shed was by God himself. When Adam and Eve sinned and they fell into sin in the Garden of Eden, their nakedness was showing. And the Lord said, Adam, where are you? And not that he did not know, but Adam said, I hid myself. I'm ashamed. I'm naked. And God killed innocent animals, shed the blood of those animals to cover the nakedness of Adam and Eve. And that is the first blood shed. And that sacrificial system has begun until the time of Moses and the law all the way up to the time of the cross. It's interesting to me that the deliverance of Israel started with blood and ended in blood. The first plague of the Egyptians was turning the water into blood. The last plague of the Egyptians was killing the firstborn. But the only thing that could forbid that death coming into the house was the blood shed over the doors and marked on the lintel and the doorpost that could keep the destroyer from coming into that house. It began with blood, it ended with blood. The blood is important. You and I have to realize that that first plague and that last plague that liberated them was the act of killing the Passover lamb and applying the blood to the house of the door. As much as you and I are thankful for Pentecost, we're believers, we, we believe in the Holy Spirit, right? But without Passover, there is no Pentecost. The word Pentecost means 50th. It's, 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 it's calculated from Passover. If there's no bloodshed at Passover, there is no Pentecost that's coming. We must have the blood of Passover to have the spirit of Pentecost. We must have the blood of Passover to have the spirit of Pentecost. And if you deny the blood, you will never reach the spirit of Pentecost. We must have the blood. Now this is what we know about the blood. I'll be short, sweet, succinct, famous words of a preacher, right? If you have a pencil and paper, I want you to get it out. I want you to write some things down. I think you need to know this. I think this is imperative. This is not something we can fudge on. This is something that we can't compromise on. Number one, the blood has a voice. 
The blood has a voice. Say that with me. The blood has a voice. Now let's use your voice. Let's say it together. The blood has a voice. Cain, where's your brother? I don't know. Do I have to keep up with my brother? Where is your brother? Don't know. Yeah, you know. Because your brother's blood is crying out from the earth to me. Do you realize that the blood speaks? And the blood is still speaking today. The blood spoke then, it still speaks today. God heard the blood of Abel. The word there for voice is the same word used as God spoke. The voice of God. Adam and Eve walked with God in the garden. They walked with the voice or they walked with the word. And here the, the voice of the blood cries out. Folks, picture in your mind, here they are. They're sitting at the table. They have their shoes, their sandals on, staff in hand. They're eating the Passover lamb. And somewhere that evening, they went outside with the basin of blood. And they marked the little and they marked the blood post of the door. And at midnight, death came through the land of Egypt. The destroyer came. And when it came to that door, the blood said, not here. The blood spoke. The blood said, you cannot come in here. Today we use terms in Christianity that the world does not understand. Today you'll understand this. When we say we're covered by the blood, honey, when you leave today, you'll know what that means. You and I are covered by the blood, and the blood is still speaking today. And you and I need to know the blood speaks because sometimes it's like we cannot speak for ourselves, but the blood is still speaking. And sometimes there's no one there to speak for you, but the blood is still speaking today. And the voice of the blood today is louder than it was in ancient Egypt. The blood is still speaking today. i got to calm down. I'm getting excited. The blood said, don't come in here. We're covered here. Not in my house. Not in this house. The blood is speaking. Thank God for the blood. Thank God for the voice of the blood. We know, number two, that there's life in the blood. Now, how do we know that? Well, there's not very many body parts that you can put in the fridge. And they'll still be good next week. Don't try it. I'm just using this as a, as a term. But do you realize that you can take the blood and you can put it in one of those bags and you can save it for a while then it can be infused in you later now, now Carrie over here, she, she's a registered nurse, when she, this has been years ago she was going through nursing school and I was her guinea pig she would come home and said man we're studying you know, blood pressure today, can I, uh, can I take your blood pressure, do you know how many times I've had my arm pumped up I know I'm pretty pumped but I, I'm just talking <laughs> What is that called? A spagnometer? What is it called? Any? Is that what it's called? Okay, so she wraps it around my arm and she, she, she pumps it up. And that's a creepy feeling to have all that pressure on your arm. And then she, you know, she checks your pulse rate and she gives your blood pressure. And then, you know, next week she comes home and she's studying this and she's studying that and then she's doing this and she's doing that. And then one, one day she came home and said, hey, we're learning IVs. I said, oh, whoa, 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 whoa. I said, do not come at me with a needle. Much as I love you, you're not going to practice on me. And I would not let her. 
uh, do the IV thing on me. And I don't even like it when it's legitimate. So, number one, the blood speaks. Number two, there is life in the blood. How do we know that? Because before Noah went on the ark, the only thing that mankind ate was herbs and fruit and things that were... Uh, vegetarian and we, we were made to eat that but when they stepped off the ark the world had changed and Noah asked God permission to eat meat. Thank God for Noah. <laughs> I had a big steak last night off my back porch on the grill. Thank God for the covenant that we can eat meat. There's nothing wrong with a good old barbecue chicken. It's the gospel bird. <laughs> Thank God for a little steak or whatever you'd like to eat. But, but this is what the Lord said. Yeah, you can eat meat. But he said drain the blood because the life is in the blood. And even after Jesus had rose from the dead and the church is, uh, you know, talking to those churches across the known world at that time that they're establishing, they did not want the blood to be eaten because the life is in the blood. So we know that Noah received that revelation from God. And how much more do we know that today? There's life in the blood, right? Here's the third thing. We know the blood marks us for service. The blood marks us for service. Do you realize that the Lord spoke to Moses and said, I want you to get Aaron together and his sons and you need to give him this ordinance because this is important. And if it's important then, it's even more important today, I believe. But we receive it, we apply it in a different way. So if you're the high priest or you're the priest and you're getting ready to go minister, everybody say minister. And we're all ministers. So if you're getting ready to go minister, here's the deal. You take the basin of blood, you pour it around the altar, but you take part of it and you take your right ear and you put the tip of your ear in the blood. And you take your right thumb and you mark your right thumb with the blood. And you take your big right toe and you put blood on your big toe. It's kind of crazy, isn't it? So before you go in to serve, before you go into the tabernacle, before you go into the temple, you make sure your ear is dipped in the blood and your thumb is dipped in the blood and your toe is dipped in the blood. What you hear and what you do and where you go needs to go through the blood. Because the blood signifies, it cleanses, it directs, it speaks to us. Folks, if there was ever an age or a time, our ears need to be filtered through the blood, it's today. You turn on the radio, the television, a movie or whatever. We need the filter of the blood in our ear. We need our hands. Whatever we do to serve, we want to serve through the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen. Wherever our feet takes us needs to be marked with the blood. Whatever you hear, you set your hand to do. Wherever your feet take you should be marked by the blood. The fourth thing we know is the blood identifies us. The blood identifies us. If we want to have a paternity suit and we want to know who the father is, you know what we do? We do a blood test. We check the DNA. We can't go by looks. Oh, he looks like you. She looks like you. We, we, we can't go by that. We, we can't go by proximity. We can't go by this. We can't go by that. But there's one surefire way they will identify who the father is. 
You know what they do? They do a blood test. They check it out. Is there a blood match here? Does it identify? Does it correlate here? The blood identifies us. Acts chapter 19. And let me just set this up. The church is uh, moving. The church is growing. The church is going places it had never been before, obviously, to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the world. And, and there's a young man by the name of Saul of Tarsus who has an encounter on the road to Damascus. Jesus appears to him. Barnabas takes him. We would know him later as the Apostle Paul. And the Apostle Paul is going from city to city, country to country, establishing churches. And the supernatural is working through his life. He's healing the sick, raising the dead. Signs, wonders, and miracles are happening, and he's casting out demonic spirits. Well, in that chapter, there are seven sons of one person named Sceva. You remember the story? The seven sons of Sceva. The Bible calls them, in verse number 13, vagabond Jews. Now, we use the term vagabond differently, but that term in the Greek means they were circuit or they moved from town to town. It means that they would preach here and they'd preach here and they'd preach here and they'd preach here. Listen, I know a lot of vagabond preachers. I wonder if there's a reason they don't stay in one place very long. Well, okay. I'll talk to somebody else. They're here and they're there, then they're over here, then they're over there, and the term is vagabond. It, it, it means that they're, they're watching, they're emulating, they're, they're, they're kind of duplicating. And they watched Paul cast out devils. So they thought, we'll try this. We're going to try this. So they found some old boy that's jacked up, messed up. And so they come to this guy and they're going to cast the demons out of him. And this is their line. We adjure you by Jesus, whom Paul's preaching, come out of this person. How many of you know it did not turn out good for them? Now one guy, demon-possessed, seven preachers. The Bible says this guy fell on them. This guy roughed them up, worked them over, tore the clothes off of them. They ran out about half-naked after this guy got a hold of them. But here's the line. You're going to love the line. The demon speaks out of this person and says, Jesus I know. Paul I know. I don't have a clue who you are. They weren't identified by the blood. You see, the blood identifies you. The blood identifies me. We can have a history. We can have a connection. We can have... Something more than just a title. We could have something more than just an experience. We are identified by the blood. The blood identifies you and I. I know Paul, I know Jesus, but I don't have a clue who you are. Listen, you and I, even when we speak for ourselves, it's not enough. The blood needs to speak for you. The blood needs to speak for me. The blood is necessary for salvation. You're not saved without the blood, right? You, you and I cannot be good enough on our own. We're not smart enough. We're not rich enough. We're not moral enough. 
In Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22, the writer's talking about the blood of the old covenant. He says, the blood of the old covenant, and you know this, uh, bulls and goats and heifers and, and turtle doves and pigeons and lambs. I mean, we have a river of blood from Genesis all the way up to the cross. I mean, this person has, uh, you know, experienced thousands of sacrifices in their life, maybe hundreds and hundreds of sacrifices and for sure every year they were experiencing the Passover lamb's death and the applying of the blood to the house and sitting down and eating that Passover meal. They knew what that was like and the writer says you know that the shedding of blood dealt with your sins under that old covenant but this is how the blood dealt with their sins it rolled them up and pushed it forward generationally year after year after year after year waiting for better blood waiting for a better promise that blood could not save you and Paul writes the keeping of the law saved no one no one but then he writes in verse 22, Hebrews 9, and without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. There is no remission. What does it take to wash away your sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. That'd make a good hymn, wouldn't it? What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Jesus himself at the Last Supper would address this. In Matthew 26, and this is something we do on a regular basis here, we come to the Lord's table. This was the first time. Actually, it was their Passover, wasn't it? They were, they were having Passover. That night, Jesus would be betrayed. He would be arrested. He would be abused. He would be beaten. And then by noon the next day, he'd be on the cross. By 3 o'clock, he'd be dead. And Jesus was with those disciples, and he picks up the bread, and he breaks it, and he says, this is my body which is broken for you. Pick it up, verse number 28. At the Last Supper, he says, this is my blood. This is the blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Jesus says, my blood is for what? The forgiveness of sins. You and I can't go through enough ceremony. We can't go through enough good works. We can't go through enough anything without the blood forgiving us of sins. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. So pastor, why get up to talk about such a controversial subject? Because that's how we're saved. If Jesus doesn't give his blood at Calvary, if his holy brow does not drip blood from the crown of thorns, if those gaping wounds do not ease and ooze the blood out of his body, if that centurion's lance going through his side does not bring forth blood and water, we are lost in our sins. But because he did, we're saved. Because he shed his blood... You and I have remission of sins. You and I are cleansed. We're purified. We're holy. We're right. We're justified because of what Jesus did at the cross. For without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. Thank God for the blood. Amen. Goodness gracious, thank God for the blood. I realize that uh, this may be something a little different for some of you, but... I, I know the necessity of it. Let, let's go back where we started, Genesis chapter 4. In Genesis 4, we have the account of the two brothers. 
Now I'd like to tell you that Cain was just uninformed. He did not know, but scripture does not uh, reveal that. I think if we go to Hebrews 11 and we go to Genesis chapter 4, we know that Cain knew what kind of sacrifice to bring. Matter of fact, he had the example of Almighty God. He had the example of his father Adam for years. He saw the example of even his brother Abel because he knew that God received Abel's sacrifice. And God even said to him, he did not condemn him in it. He said, now listen Cain, you know if you bring the right sacrifice, you'll be received. So God wasn't being ungrateful or ungraceful, indignant toward him. He was just saying, this is my world, this is my plan, and without the shedding of blood, this does not work. You cannot do this by working the field. You cannot do this by working with your hands. There must be blood shed, Cain, or this does not work. And sometime later, we don't know when the later is, but I want you to pick it up. Verse 8, now Cain talked with his brother Abel, and it came to pass. It came to pass, which means some time has gone forth. Now here's the question I want to give to you. Why is Abel in the field? Because Abel is not a tiller of the ground or a worker of the field. Cain is, Abel is not. Abel keeps the sheep. He keeps the flocks, right? So he's at the pasture. He's in the meadows. He's on the hillsides. But Abel came down to the field where his brother Cain was. And there Cain slew him and shed his blood. You got to watch those brothers. Mine's here today. Tell you, he'd say that's about me and I'd say that about you. Listen, when you grow up, Sometimes brothers are born for adversity, aren't they? You know Steve shot me with the bow and arrow one time? <laughs> he did. It's a true story. We was arguing over it. He took it. I took off and he shot me on the way out. <laughs> then he ran up to me. I felt like I was John Wayne laying with the Apaches around me. <laughs> and uh, he said, don't tell daddy. <laughs> And I still love him. And I'm not going to tell you everything I did to him. Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and killed him. You know where he died? He died in the field. You got to watch those brothers because sometimes God has a plan and, and, and God reveals his plan in ways that we don't understand. You know, it's always the older brother that gets the double blessing and, 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 and gets those things. But sometimes God switches things up, doesn't he? Sometimes instead of an Esau, God chooses a Jacob. Because Esau hasn't valued his birthright. And so the Lord went down to the younger brother. And sometimes Jacob, when he's older and Manasseh and Ephraim is brought in front of him, he switches his hands. And he blesses the younger. And Joseph says, oh, wait, Dad, you made a mistake. I hadn't made a mistake. I'm blessing the younger. You know, technically, if you look at it in Scripture, God had two sons. If you look at the genealogy of, of Jesus, when you get down to Adam, it says Adam, who was the son of God. Now, please understand, I'm not preaching a false doctrine here. But Adam was his son by creation, Jesus is the only begotten son. Right? 
Jesus was not created. If he was created, he'd have to have a creator. But how do you know he is the creator? He is only begotten. Why was he begotten? Because it's the only legitimate way to get in this world. You had to come through a mother's womb. That's the only way you can get here, right? Unless you came some other way, you extraterrestrial. But the only way you can get here is through a woman's womb. So when God wanted to come to earth, guess how he came? He came through the womb of a woman. It's the only legitimate way to get here. But if you read scripture, Jesus came down and he died in a field. You say, no, he didn't. He died on the cross. Well, I understand what you're saying. But in Matthew chapter 13, there are several parables given in, in chapter 13. We have the parable of the sword. You have all these parables. And, and when Jesus is explaining the parables, he, he talks about the seed and, and the tares, the wheat and the tares. And he says, one day the reapers are going to come to the, to the, to the world and, and they're, going to, uh, they're going to reap it out of the field. And he makes this blunt statement. He says, the field is the world. The field is the world. Do you believe with me that God in his wisdom took Old Testament stories to give us New Testament wisdom? And there Abel came down from the hills and the pastures and the meadows and he went to the field of hostile territory and there in hostile territory his blood was shed in the field and Jesus says the field is the world. And Jesus came to our world. He came to our field. And you know what happened while he was there? He died. And his blood was shed and guess what's still happening today? The blood that has been shed in the world is still speaking today. Hallelujah. So when I and you, we come to this point in our life and we say, Lord, man, I'm having trouble in my marriage. I'm having trouble in my finances. I'm having trouble with my kids, my body. And, and, and I come to that realization, but I say, but oh God, thank you that I'm covered in your blood and the blood is still speaking today. And sometimes when you don't have the voice and the voice is not strong enough or loud enough, let me tell you what happens. The blood is still speaking for you today. It's a powerful voice. And aren't you glad that your blood is not just your blood, but your blood now has become infused, if you will, with the blood of the Savior, simply not saying in the natural, but in the supernatural, you and I are covered by the blood of Jesus. Because he came to the field. He came to his own, and his own received him not. His own killed him at the cross. He shed his blood, and that blood is still speaking powerfully today. Let me give you one last verse. Revelation 5, verse 9. John gives us a glimpse of heaven. Now understand, we don't know a whole lot about heaven. And you say, well, Pastor, we, we have a lot in the book. But I understand that we still don't know a whole lot about heaven. We see through a glass darkly. We know in part. We prophesy in part. And uh, we, we know that there are things laid up for us. We know by the Spirit we have some things for us. But we don't know it completely. And then John gets this glimpse of the throne of God. The crystal sea. The glory of God. The Shekinah glory of God. And there is this, uh, this book. This scroll that everybody's looking at. They're, they're, they're attention is to the scroll because the scroll is going to be open to give us revelation to what the future is. 
But the scroll of the book is sealed with seven seals. And no one in heaven is worthy enough to open the book or to unroll or scroll the scroll out. And there's lament in heaven. Who's worthy? Nobody worthy to open the book. And finally in this dramatic picture, the lamb walks up. Hallelujah. The lamb walks up to the throne. And the lamb takes the scroll and begins to break the seals. Seal one and two and three and four and five and six. And there is an eruption in heaven. There's worship in heaven. Look at verse 9. And they sang a new song saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals. For you were slain and you have redeemed us to God by your blood. Out of every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. Aren't you glad God is a Savior? And there's only one Savior. Amen? There's not three, ten, a dozen, not fifty, not a million. There is only one Savior. And here's the good news. Out of every nation, of every tribe, out of every tongue, out of every people, God has saved somebody. You talk about the grace of God. You talk about the goodness of God. Let me tell you, if Ray of Hope are the only ones going to heaven, it's going to be a little heaven. I'm not saying everybody's going because you know that's not the case. But I want to tell you how pervasive the goodness and the grace of God is out of every nation, out of every tribe, out of every tongue, out of every people. There is someone standing around that throne. And you know what they're doing? They're looking at the Lamb and they're saying to the Lamb, You alone are worthy because you have redeemed us by your blood. We're redeemed. The reason we're here is not because we're from all the same countries. The reason we're here is not because we're all black or white or Hispanic or educated or moral or rich or poor. We're here for one reason. You redeemed us by your shed blood. That's how we're in heaven. Thank God for the blood. Blood's still speaking today. And so when you hear some believers say something like this, well, I'm covered in the blood. Don't roll your eyes at them and say, what a nut job. Because we're covered by the blood. We're redeemed by the blood. Thank God for the blood. Because without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin we can't afford to have a pasteurized homogenized bloodless religion this is his world this is his way and it's going to take blood to get you to heaven but the good news is by his blood you can make it and even when you don't feel like you're worthy, even when you feel like you can't make it, even when the enemy comes in to accuse you, and even sometimes when you have failed and you have fallen and the destroyer comes, how many of you know he's the accuser of the brethren and he'll get the sisters too? 
Now come on. He'll get the brothers and he'll get the sisters. And maybe you feel like you're guilty. Maybe you feel like you're unworthy. Maybe you feel like you haven't measured up. Maybe you feel like you've failed too many times. And at that point, what happens? The blood begins to speak. The blood says, he is worthy. She is worthy. She is my child. He is my child. When you can't speak, the blood will speak. Thank God for the blood. Thank God for the blood. Bow your head with me. We are so thankful you joined us today. We would love to hear from you at rayofhopepodcast at gmail.com. Let us know how you are encouraged and how we can pray for you. Remember, Christ in you is the hope of glory and hope changes everything.